over under quarterbacks we see for Guelph. Two and a half. I'm setting that as the line. <laughs> over under. Uh, I'll pick the over. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Tom and myself are back with your week three preview. Uh, Tom, you know, the kind of honeymoon stage at the beginning of the season where we get some diversity in the schedule is gone out the window. But with a few weeks in the books, we also get a bit more a bit more intrigue with these games. We've learned some things about some teams. We've maybe had to unlearn some things about some teams. We've, you know, had people crying from their balconies at our our takes and who we think's good and who we think's bad. We're two weeks into this, about to hit the third week. What are your thoughts? Like, What's going through your mind when you're thinking about this OUA season so far? Well, the main thought that really comes into my head is I have to check my biases when I go into thinking, okay, these teams are going to be at the top because they have been at the top for so many years and things. Naturally, especially when you and I were playing, Zach, it was always Western, Mac, Guelph, maybe Queens was there, and then everybody else. Now, at least in the first two weeks, that is not the case. Toronto's a serious contender. Windsor is a serious contender. You still have the usual suspects at the top as well, but that middle ground is starting to turn up a little bit, which is outstanding. It makes for some real exciting football. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like there was a, you know, kind of pre-pandemic, there was a time where there was a good mix, and then they kind of got that divide a little bit again. But yeah, and, and you throw in a team like Laurier that had a really nice showing in their first game despite the loss against Western. Um, yeah, it's it so far a lot of good stuff. Um, I don't think there's anything to it but to do it at this point, and let's hop into our our uh, our slate of one o'clock games, and we'll get the one out of the way that's. Uh, undoubtedly the least intriguing where the York Lions are hitting the road to take on the Carlton Ravens. This game to me, it, honestly, there's a, I, I think, accidental symmetry in in some of these games the first three weeks. And this is perhaps the biggest example of, of such uh, a thing. And what I mean by that is we had week one. Carlton Mack. Mack goes into, you know, Carlton's house, picks up the win, close contest. Both teams kind of struggling to get their offense going. It kind of just had the feel of, you know what, these teams are just figuring some stuff out. Bit of rough year last year. They were kind of, for me, two teams going into this year that needed a bounce back. Mack picks up the win, close battle, hard to take too much out of that. And then we talked about last week where York was going to Mack as being like, all right, Mack should win this game by a big score, which they did. But it wasn't going to be the score that was going to make us you know, feel one way or another about your McMaster Marauders. And Nate and I talked about that, and I'm, I'm happy to get your thoughts on that when we get into Max game. And now we have York going to Carlton, and to me it's the exact same story because you had Carlton put up, a, you know, a, a pretty, well, I don't want to say a poor effort against UFT because I want to I give UFT the effort for what they did at home on that uh, beautiful Sunday night win they picked up. But this is another situation where you'd have to be on some crazy pills to think that, and that think that this outcome will be anything but a Ravens win. But I think much like that Mac game, it's not about the final score. There are a number of things that I think we have to keep our eyes on that will tell us just what's going on in Carlton. What are you thinking about this Lions Ravens matchup in Carlton? 
Yeah, I think you hit that nail on the head as usual, my man. Stop uh, it. With this kind of game, anytime you're playing against a weaker team, and certainly York has shown that they are the weaker team amongst the entire OUA here, you're not looking at these big scores and everything else, you know, the 40 to ones or whatever. You want to look at how are you executing? How are you getting better against a team that you know that you're better than? Are you going to play down to them or are you really going to explode and show the dominance that you can? For this Carlton team, I really want to see some consistency at offense. I think they really started to show something against the Mac team in that second half of that game where they started to pull away and, you know, win that game, but really didn't see that against uh, Toronto there. You know, it was one to nothing at the halftime. So both teams could be a little bit better. But if you watch that game, and I know you and I both did, Toronto really dominated that game from start to finish. They had some issues finishing, but Carlton at no point did I ever think, you know, I think they're going to be in this game or I think they're going to really dominate or win this certainly into the second half. So I want to see more consistency on the offensive side of the ball. I want to see Tanner DeYoung really go off and show why he is that senior quarterback ready to lead this team. You know, Kasim Ferdinand and Joshua Ferguson, get them more involved into the game and just establish that offense. Like, you know, you can. Yeah. A hundred percent. And for Carlton as well, defensively, you know, I think it's a time for them to show that you know, this is the fun part in the season where we get to say, okay, so that first half Toronto did put up against Queens, you know, how indicative of that, how indicative was that of what they were truly able to achieve? And I don't think that's, you know, we can put too much stock into that. I don't think, you know, them getting 211 passing yards and a half is something we can expect from them. Um, but now we have uh, this Carlton defense where, as you kind of said, UFT wasn't in charge of that game. There was the fumble on the goal line that could have easily put UFT up um, by a larger margin in the first half than they were. And this is a defense where, going back to that Mac game, despite now some of the you know questions we have about the Marauders, that you know obviously there was the standout performance league wide by Shaheem Charles Brown in that first game, but still with guys like Cole Hepburn. Dan McWhorter, the former Lion and Talik Aoman, his first attempt now playing his old team. Pardon me, wishes this was in York just as a true homecoming. And then a ton of other talented players on that team. And so it's, yeah, I think this is the opportunity for them to do what Mac couldn't and make a statement win that really makes us feel comfortable about it. Like, what do you think is going to be the difference? Or what do you think that Carlton needs to do other than, because what was it? It was was it 49 to one, the final for, for, for Mac or 39 to one, you know, the score was score was, was, was pretty hefty. Like what is the, you know, you mentioned some of the things offensively defensively. What are some of the things that you really want to see them do to this Lions team? Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more variation, honestly, in some of that defense. I noticed that in the Toronto game, we saw a lot of the 30 front there and I don't really feel like in certain scenarios on that 30 front, you don't allow your star defensive lineman, your rushers like Shaheem Charles Brown to really go off because in a 30 front, obviously he's got more responsibilities than a single gap at certain times, depending on blitzes and everything else. So uh, I'd like to see them try to get back to that 40 front, trust the fact that they can stop the run and, you know, really go after this, this passing offense from York, which was really non-existent. Uh, but yeah, just establish a little bit more. You know, you you started off the season strong. You had uh, seven sacks against McMaster and then against the Toronto team that passed the ball quite a fair bit, only one. 
So I'd like to see what you can do on that defensive front and really see about asserting your dominance, because as you and I both know, 99% of the time, if you win the line of scrimmage, you win the game. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, on that point, yes, it's been a pass heavy offense for York in large part because, you know, they still haven't we still haven't seen Avante McCoy on the field for them. Darnell Jarrett seems like he's been in and out a little bit. And so, you know, whatever we want to say about York and I, you know, I feel like I either am too nice or too mean to them. In my books, I've been way too mean to them, but that's just my own personality that, you know, it's there's a certain person in my life really needling me about them but <laughs> that you know that there are pieces still missing from this offense that could make it a little more well-rounded I am not saying that's enough to give them a shot but you know you mentioned what you know the impact of an offensive line is the impact that Carlton was able to have that defensive line and that I think transitions us very nicely into our second game in case it wasn't obvious we're both taking Carlton as you all at home are as well um yep. Our second game, the second of four one o'clock games where the Ottawa GGs are hitting the road to take on the McMaster Marauders at Ron Joyce. And you mentioned, what was it, it seven, seven sacks, seven and a half sacks in that game against Carlton? Yeah, that's and, you know, that was the big thing. We talked about that going to the York game where, hey, you know what, like all the things you want to say about the Lions, the Lions will get after the quarterback. And they did, uh, perhaps to your, uh, your, your, your to, to your benefit or to your detriment, I suppose, um, as a uh, Marauder faithful uh, watching that game live from the stands or from the uh, the the beer tent. But, um, anyways, this McMaster team, ah man, you know that first win seems a little less significant now after we've seen Carlton maybe not be as uh, savvy a team as. We might have thought that game against York, as we just talked about, left a lot to be wanted. And on the other hand, this is an Ottawa team that we mentioned that game against Queens was going to be the sexiest game of the weekend. And aside from just the pure joy of seeing UFT do what they did, I think, and also what Windsor did too, that was very enjoyable to watch Joey Zorn do his thing. We're, we're printing those shirts right now. Um, Ottawa really impressed the pants off me. Um, against Queens. So now we have them going to a, a team where I feel like these are two teams kind of going in opposite directions as far as the early season impressions we've gotten so far. Uh, what are you thinking about this matchup, the Gigi's and the Marauders? Yeah, I think you you kind of alluded to it there. York against McMaster, that last game, 39-1. to That is not indicative of the play that I saw when I was at that game. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more critical. It's funny because I am an alumni. I expect a lot from that team and I just didn't see it. Uh, I think what I should say is that the McMaster uh, offensive secondary is phenomenal. Andreas Duick is the still, still the same quarterback that we thought he was, you know, he's leading the the league in, uh, in passing yards with 294 uh, so he's he's still a stud in that in that kind of regard. His receivers are really great. He's got a really solid young core with James Priestner, Jackson Cooling, and a bunch of those guys there that have I think shown that they can at the very least be steady, confident targets for him. The number one issue that they have on offense is that offensive line, and it kills me to say that as a former offensive lineman for the McMaster Marauders. But in two games, you give up thirteen sacks. That is not a recipe for success whatsoever. And uh, 
you know, the, the, you did say York not to give, you know, not to say anything negative already against them, even though we've already done a little bit like that. They did a great job of getting after the quarterback, but this McMaster offensive line could have picked that up. York is a team that's known for blitzing and known for showing things like seven man pressure, five man pressure, whatever the case, but it's simple. If you just know your rules and you know, your, your techniques to kind of divide against it. So I didn't really see that. I didn't see them assert their dominance, especially in the run game. And I was a little concerned about that. I think McMaster purely is the better team as we knew, and they willed themselves to that win. But you can see into the fourth quarter, Andreas Dueck is still in starting quarterback for them, which is kind of indicative that the fact that the offense hasn't gotten a chance to really get their wheels going here. So uh, I did not see what I wanted to see from this Mac team. And like I said, I'm going off on them a little bit here, but uh, I just I just wanted to see more, especially from that offensive line, and I didn't. That's a very interesting point you bring up about how late into the game Duick was still throwing it because I talked about this with Nate where there was part of me where, you know, for all the reasons in the world, they took him out when they did, and many people could probably argue they could have taken him out earlier. But there's part of me being like, I don't know. Like, I get it was you know a hot day. You have a a, a defense getting out for the quarterback. There's part of me being like, I kind of feel like you still have some things to fi- uh, figure out. But about the skill position, guys, you know, you mentioned that receiving core. Uh, young young kid and Jacob Patton, really impressive uh, performance against York. And then we mentioned some of the names we haven't seen for the Lions in their backfield. Still haven't seen Mr. Justice Allen appear for the McMaster Marauders, which is massive. And I don't know his status, but that and he's such a diverse back in that he affects not only the run game, but the pass game as well, that that'll be huge. But, you know, it, you, you know, we you alluded to it or you, you sort of went through the reason why Mac is a very good passing attack when they can protect Duick. That's where their bread is buttered, it seems, on offense and on the flip side, and this is one of the reasons that, to me, Ottawa is such a fun team to watch, is that their defense, and in particular, their defensive secondary, is super, super solid. I mean, guys like Kevin Victome and Eric Cumberbatch having great years so far for them at, the, at DB. The guy like James Peter at linebacker just balling out. Christopher Cyril in the defensive back, in the defensive secondary as well. And even on the D-line, a guy like um, what's Michael Pizzuto having a good year as well. On the flip side, offensively, you know, I think Ben Miracle, I mean, you know what? The numbers aren't too impressive, but I just, there's something about him. When I watch him in games, I just, there's something, I I, I just, I like him. I see him out there. He seems to make it happen. He's got a guy like J.P. Simonkinda he can hand it off to. He's got weapons at receiver, like Ola Dejo, the second year, I believe second year, and Rodney Estime, um, and Tristan Park, a veteran receiver for them. I, you know, I guess I'll just take the opportunity to say that, I know this is in Ron Joyce, and I know you have a beautiful stat to share on that. I'm 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 taking the GGs on the road. I just from what I've seen so far this year, I have more faith in what they can do. And we didn't see Mac at home. As we said all those issues against York were at Ron Joyce. Obviously, it didn't net anything close to a loss for them. But I don't know. I I, I got I got GG fever and I'm I'm rolling with them into into Hamilton on this one. Call me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think you're crazy by any means. I think the the GGs have really shown a uh a stellar offense and defense like we saw against that Queens team last uh last weekend. 
Um, you know, you mentioned James Peters currently leading the league in uh, tackles per game right now. So the guy's been all over the field and re really been a solid run stopper for them and everything else. Um, I think JPC McKinda is definitely the, the heart and the focal point of that offense for sure. We've shown his outstanding running abilities against a, a, I, what I think is still a pretty stout Queens defense as well in that game. Um, I just don't know. I don't know if they have enough pieces to really get over this Marauder team for as much as I've said negatively against them. I still think that they are a very talented team and talented in the, uh, in the receiving core running back and even quarterback position there. I think the big stat that Zach alluded to is uh, something that, you know, we were just kind of going over since 2010, the only teams to ever win at Ron Joy stadium are Laurier and Western. No other team has beaten McMaster in Hamilton because of the aura that's there. And Zach's making a face because there were some really, really close Guelph games while he was playing there, which some I'm sure cups. still sting to this day. Uh, but I think with a little bit of Hamilton magic, and I think they have uh, a real star in Andreas Duek. The 294 that I was saying is uh, average passing yards per game. Right now, he's at 589 yards of passing throughout the uh, the, the league so far, he's leading in the OUA. So I think that Andreas Duek wills this team to another win and they, they pull it out in Hamilton. Well, it's nice to see we're finally getting some games that are giving us reason to have, I think, valid disagreements on this. I will say, though, I don't have the 2021 OUA stats in front of me, but Duick was, I mean, we know Trey was doing Trey things last year still. I think Duke was second, if at the very least third as well. And that team left a lot to be desired as well. So sometimes those QB stats can be a little deceiving. But I think I'm excited as far as, uh, well, unfortunately, there's a f the next game we're going to talk about is, you know, drawing my eye of this one o'clock slate of games um, more than any other. Um, so the Mac Ottawa probably takes a backseat to that one. But we'll go to that game that I am I'm very, most, I'm most excited for, which is the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks traveling to the big smoke to take on the U of T varsity blues. You know, we, we talked about Laurier opening their season at home, albeit against Western being a, a tough, you know, you don't want to make too much out of one game, but if you were, you especially don't want to, when you play a team as stout as Western, because we like said, everyone loses to Western and everyone gets beat whether you're home or away. Right. But nonetheless, I thought they showed a lot of positive things in a number of facets, I think they showed, you know, for, for one, running the ball, it seems like they're doing a bit of the, you know, running back by committee. They got Quentin Scott, who came on hot late last year. Tanner Nelms, the more veteran back. I mean, once again, we're only comparing one game of stats. And I think Taylor Elgersma, you know, let's go through the stats of his, his game against Western. 20 for 34, 58% throwing. 258 yards, one TD, one interception. Nothing that's going to you know blow you away, but he looks confident in there. He's a big athletic kid. He's he's getting into the James Keenan territory for me where I'm like, I'm yelling at my TV, slide, slide. Someone teach this guy to slide. Um, and then, of course, the question of who is going to replace some of the uh, receptions that – or all the receptions, the receptions Ente Aguavon was going to be pulling in for them. And we saw good performances by Ethan Jordan, Nick Peterman, Ben McAlpine. Um, so, I, you know, once again, don't want to make too much of that. But 
like some of the stuff I saw. We, we've talked about UFT a little bit already through their um, first two games and just all the excitement. But we're just talking about Laurier for a second, what were some of your big takeaways in, you know, um, a, not a close game, but kind of felt like a closer game than it really was um, in their home opener to Western? Yeah, I think I think Laurier was struggling a little bit with the same thing that we saw with Toronto is just finishing drives and finishing with points on the board. I think that that's always to be expected in your first game of the season. You have to also remember they had a week one buy and, you know, your first game is against Western, which is never an easy thing to kind of do. But like you said, I saw a lot of confidence from their second year quarterback, Taylor Elgersma. Um, and, you know, you went through the stats and maybe they don't jump off the page at you, but he didn't seem scared or nervous in the pocket when he was throwing the ball. He threw confidently and certain ones were strikes down the field to his, you know, some of his favorite targets, like you were mentioning, Nick Peterman, uh, as well as um, Ethan Jordan as well. Uh, and I really liked seeing, you know, we were talking about a little bit, but Quinton Scott, he got, he kind of found a little bit of daylight at certain times and was able to make some things work for, you know, a 15 yard gain here and there or, um, you know, his 22 yard gain that he had, which was the longest of the day. I think this Laurier team has a lot of things going for it. And I think they do have that capabilities to really explode, but uh, I just don't think that they're there yet. And I think they need another game under their belt before they really get going. Okay. So now let, let's sort of move that into the scope of this very game itself. A UFT team that shut out Carlton in the first half, a UFT team that, was able to, you know, we saw Kinsel Phillip in that game against Queens sling the rock in the first half. And there's, I think, a, a kind of interesting parallel between his first start and Elgersma in both going up against very formidable defenses in Western and Queens, respectively, or maybe had that backwards. Uh, and almost just looking like, to, it almost looked like they just thought they were still in practice. They're just throwing all the balls, just just not worrying about, you know, I love sort of evoking the, the line from one of my favorite, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movies um, Catch Me If You Can when Christopher Walken's like you know why the Yankees always win because the other team can't keep their eyes off the pinstripes and I think that kind of mystique is a big you know there's also Western has the best players but I think there's something about when you see that purple and when we get to their game later uh, in our segment when you see them come out in all black it's intimidating but there was something about Kinsel Phillip and Algersma in, in their first appearance and what we saw from Phillip against Carlton as well and just it just seemed like they just took the game plan and they ran it but on top of that for UFT to me what was such a standout from that game was the performance of Adam Williams not just because it, it warmed my heart where this is a guy that's been in that program for four or five years I don't remember off the top of my head but you know while we still obviously had some of our questions about Carlton and you mentioned them using that 30 front a bit more you know oftentimes we talked about this with Mac your offensive line, and we have two former linemen on the pod right now, so call us biased if you want to, but I think anyone who knows the sport will agree, is going to be the engine that runs your offense on all facets. So we obviously saw Western put up the yards on the ground, that dynamic duo they have there. Is this running back, is this running game for real for UFT? What did you make of what they were able to do on the ground? Do you think they'll be able to reproduce that against Laurier? I don't think that they'll be able to have the exact same kind of success, but like we were saying before, Carlton is not a bad team and to be to rush for 353 yards against a pretty decent Carlton Ravens team is no easy feat. I think that U of T offensive line really 
helped out as well and were able to make some holes. But credit to those running backs, like you were saying, they really put up some serious numbers there. I was really surprised uh, to kind of see that. And we, like we were saying, we really saw that dominance throughout the entire game. We just didn't see it translate onto the scoreboard until uh, late in the, you know, into the second half there. It was obviously heartbreaking to see the fumble on the goal line uh, before U of T was going to go up in their big score in that first half, but they stuck with it. They kept going. Kinsale Phillip, while not putting up real big numbers by any means, was able to get enough done to really will this team and get them better and better and better. I think he's the real deal. I think he could be our next Trey Ford-esque Maybe not the exact same as, as Trey Ford. I don't want to crown the guy as of yet, just two games into his career. But we've seen a lot of greatness from him. We see a lot of greatness from the running game and everything else. And while I don't think they're going to have the exact same success against Laurier, I think it's going to be enough to to pull out the win. Well, okay, so then you're going you're going UFT on in this matchup. I'm going to roll with the Golden Hawks, but though I will say one more thing that does because you raise the point about Laurie having the week one bye, and though I do think he returned in the game, if I'm if memory serves against Western, I believe we saw Patrick Burke Jr., the defensive back for Laurie, come out at some point. I, I don't know if it was, like I said, he may have returned, but just you raise the point about when you have that bye week, week one, that extended training camp, essentially, it just makes the season that much longer. But, you know, a guy that I, I, I got to meet at one of the combines, Shamari Hutchison, you know, him just leading that defense. We talked about how they were going to fill you know, losing Will Amoa, losing Christian Hutter Coppin, and just Hutchson in that sort of Sam Backer position is just solid as all heck for them. But all right, another one. I love it. We got split on this one too. I'm going. I'm going with the two road dogs, I guess. Or I, I, I suppose I should be careful using the term dog since we do have now actual lines, and I don't know them off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> go. Apparently, you can go win some free money uh, on cool bets. I, I don't know their lines off the top of my head, but I guess check that out if you're. If you're into free money. Um, okay, so our next game, the last of our one o'clock games, we have the Guelph Griffins hitting the road to take on the Waterloo Warriors. You know, this is a matchup that uh, in our sort of, well, they weren't way too early season predictions. They were kind of just like on the cusp of preseason predictions. It was not really, uh, didn't involve much thought. You know, there's some games where you, you'll, you'll say like, all right, Queens Western. Do I need to think about that for a little bit? Or like, you know, Matt Carlton week one. Uh, when it came to Guelph Waterloo, it was a Guelph pick for me going back to preseason. From what we've seen so far, a, a bit of pause, a, a bit of pause. Now, the one common thing we've seen with these teams, if we want to invoke preseason games, as we have seen both these teams pick up wins against the York Lions, Waterloo in week one on the road, Guelph at home for um, their preseason game. But, you know, we talk about some of the reasons that have made McMaster and make Carlton make you go, uh, that's a, that's a, ooh, when it comes to what we've seen from Guelph so far. Hey, that game against Western kept it close through a half and a little bit. Not so much we saw on the offense side of the ball, but then we saw Windsor go in and, you know, me and Nate talked about this. And I know we, we've been you know, texting with our guys and everything through that game. I don't care. That was a four-point loss. That was a dominant win by Windsor in Guelph. And though this is a young Waterloo team, man, oh, man. Um, Guelph 
you know, I feel like I've said this a number of times, leaves you wanting. And boy, oh boy, um, you know, Waterloo, you know, everyone knows the Fords are gone. There's some other pieces there. They've built up a, a, like an institutional uh, like helm there with Bertoia and with everything they've invested in that program that I think is worth giving them the benefit of knowing that they, they're getting pieces in the right places. But that's enough of me rambling on this. What are your feelings with Guelph going to Waterloo? Waterloo, of course, coming off the week two by now. Yeah, I think you kind of alluded to it there, but this Waterloo team could be going into this week specifically the most dangerous team for this Guelph Griffins offense or just Guelph Griffins team in general. You have your two weeks of training camp that the entire league does. They have essentially, like you said, another preseason game against this York Lion team where they're really able to, you know, open up the offense and pose their will, do do a lot of really great things there against a team that, you know, is not very impressive by any other means, and then have another bye week. As you and I both know, especially when you open up the, the uh, year against a team that's not very strong, that you can get away with a lot of things, I think that Waterloo showed a lot of basic stuff probably a lot of basic core run plays not too many flashy things in the past game and in the in our defense a waterloo team that is i know uh Dar- darrell uh, adams the defensive coordinator for waterloo he loves that 30 front i think he was in a 40 front the entire game there so i don't think that they've shown everything that they're capable of doing yet and i don't know that uh guelph has enough film on what's happening for this year with the new pieces that they have in play and everything else. I think if a Guelph team, like we've seen in the past, has a strong offense and a strong defense like we've seen previously, it doesn't really matter all that much and they kind of go in. But with the questions that they have in quarterback, with the amount of times that we saw flip-flops in that last game and the inconsistency in the passing route, it just didn't seem like the quarterbacks and the receivers were on the same page yet. I don't know. This is going to be a a bit of a throw-up game. This is the first home game for this Waterloo team in the season it's it's gonna be a tight one yeah and you know as a sort of sort of well maybe it shouldn't be well it's it's secondary to what we you know talk about on the field but as far as places to go to I've mentioned how much even as an away player I appreciate going to Ron Joyce because I mean and there's a reason that other than the players they put out on the field it's you mentioned they have a stat like that only losing to Western or Laurier at home in the last 12 years or whatever that was um Waterloo is a, a place where you know once again as I alluded to what they've really been able to build in the, the few years not just with that beautiful facility with the recruiting and things like that but when you go to a game there it's a really enjoyable time great football community in that kw area and they really come out and you mentioned that 30 front and then you know kind of showing more of that 40 and maybe that is sort of that base you know we don't want to show too much against york the one thing i will say because you know obviously when we talk about the losses for this waterloo team um, it's all you know. It's it's the Ford brothers, and, and uh, deservingly so, to say the very very least. Um, but you know, down to only one Hins- Hinsberger brother now at the linebacker core. Um, I mean, golly, do they got a good one in Jack there? But that thirty front definitely a little easier to. You can sleep a little easier at night when you know you have a few more studs at linebacker. They still got a great talent in Jack Andrews there as well. But I kind of say that in bringing up now talking about. You know, you mentioned that, you know, Guelph at quarterback, and that seems to be, you know, Groundhog Day when we talk about Guelph with quarterbacks and switching them back and forth. But the running game, you know, 
we did see a lot of promise out of a, a young player that I know you're very excited about in Isaiah Smith. I mean, Guelph coming into this year, I kind of figured not knowing some of the new recruits, they'd stick with that kind of running back by committee. Juwan Jeffrey, Kwame Osi, who obviously we've seen there for a number of times um, as well. Kane Stevenson, we've seen, though they list him as a receiver, him get a lot of carries. You know, in terms of what you saw from Isaiah Smith, I know you're familiar with him, a Burlington kid. Um, do you feel like that, and obviously knowing this Guelph team well, or not this specific iteration, but having recent familiarity with them, does this feel like they're leaning towards making him their bell cow, or do you think it's still going to be that variety that we've been seeing over the last few years? Pretty much, I feel like since you know Johnny Augustine left, they they haven't had a go to back. Yeah, I think I think you will see a bit more of that running back by committee for sure, but it's not nearly going to be as divided as it was. I think Isaiah Smith has kind of shown out that he is a bit of a baller. Not only was that offensive line really creating some great holes for him, but I saw a few plays there where Isaiah Smith took two or three hits and broke some tackles before he finally went down. You know, he really didn't, he didn't get a a whole ton of playing time in my opinion against that Western team. So really in one game, he's leading the, the, uh, the team in rushing with 148 yards, two touchdowns. The kid has just shown a lot of promise here. And especially being a fresh, a freshman running back, I think they're going to go to the well to him a lot more often as this game kind of continues on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be a, a battle between Joey Zorn and Isaiah Smith for that OUA rookie of the year. But if Mr. Zorn keeps doing what he's doing, I think uh, he might be running away with that pun intended. Um, but you mentioned Kane Stevenson. That was somebody I was really excited about because maybe he's not getting as many reps at running back, or maybe they have him fully out at that receiver position, but he showed he is still so elusive as not only a receiver, but as a returner, he's got the, the field of vision and exactly what you want to see, you know, solid hands as a receiver and things. So I wouldn't be surprised if they see a little bit more from him, even doing some of the things that he used to do as a running back, maybe some swing passes, maybe some quick slants, get him the ball as quick as you can and make him let him make a move and then get out in the open field. I think Clark Barnes is a phenomenal receiver. Like we have been talking about for sure, but it's been difficult to get him the ball consistently because of the issues that they've had at quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Kane Stevenson and Isaiah Smith be a, a much bigger piece of the offense than what they had previously kind of imagined for this Guelph team. And, you know, you mentioned Clark's name and another guy that, um, you know, mentioned with Patrick Burke jr. For Laurier, I, I'm definitely remembering seeing Clark go down early in that game. Once again, though, I believe he did come back. I mean, that's just a nightmare. Um, if they don't have Clark, they didn't seem in their first two games to be using him in, as a returner, which obviously is how we all first learned about him in the OUA where it was his first game. He what, was it two return touchdowns in his first game in an OUA uniform bonkers, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's, this quarterback situation there is is really is really something to behold. Uh, do need to just give a shout out as we're talking about quarterbacks, talking about offense, just moving back to Waterloo. Um, Nolan Caban, I mean, once again, we've talked about, I'm sorry, York Lion faithful, if you're out there listening to this, that like it always comes at your expense, but that, you know. It is one game, and it's much like we said about Laurier with Western, not wanting to put too much or take too much out of that one. But same with, you know, Caban's performance against um, 
against York, but I feel like this was what we talked about with this team going into it was that, hey, you know, we were talking with Nate is that, you know, all these young quarterbacks and we're not sure who's going to be at the helm, but a very veteran receiving core with guys like James Basiliga, who had a heck of a performance, three TDs in that first game, Rashawn Daigleman, and of course, Gordon Lamb in the mix as well. So I'll be interested to see what they do there. And I almost use that as a point to then bring up Guelph's defense. Um, because two names in particular, we've talked about a lot of the players that, you know, are gone from that program. I mean, obviously, AJ Allen's graduated out, gone to the CFL, uh, Beeksma, Ben Lack. Um, but two guys that we haven't seen on the defense side of the ball for them in Anthony Mortuzo and then Christian Stewart. Um, I don't know. Are, do you have a sense of, of what's happening with those guys? I mean, I know you still have some connects with the, that community, but I mean, like that's, you know, it was one thing to talk about their whole linebacking core being gone, but then one of their best defensive backs. And then if you've been following, if you've been following our uh, top 100, you know, <laughs> a guy that we're pretty bullish on and Christian Stewart, I mean, do you have a sense? Are those two guys they're getting back this year? Are is it injuries? Do you have any idea on where uh, you know where Mortuzo and Stewart have been for the Guelph's defense? Yeah, I spoke to somebody who is relatively close to the program. There, he assured me that um, Mortuzo definitely did some kind of an injury during training camp. I didn't really pry to see what exactly that was, and I, I believe that Christian Stewart either had an injury during training camp or just before when he was still training on his own. But I have been assured that both of them will be back sometime during the regular season here. It won't be this week, and I don't think it will be next week, but they will be back playing for the Griffins at some point this season. So they're not season-ending uh, injuries by any means. I think it's going to be a huge boost to this defense as soon as the two of them do come back. But, you know, we talked a lot about the guys who are injured or the guys who are moved on. One of the names that has really stuck out to me, Brandon Farigo. That guy was all over the field against Windsor. 14 and a half total tackles over two games there. He really showed out against Windsor. I think he's the new one of the newest studs of linebackers that Guelph seems to just churn out year after year after year. He seems like he's going to be a really solid player for them. Even Scott Murray, one of their defensive ends, two and a half sacks leading the team right now. But you have guys like Cole Watson, Josh Campbell, Devin Cromwell, uh, Yusuf. You got even Curtis Woodmansey in the interior. They've all got quarterback sacks and pressures so obviously you have a, uh, a some success getting after the quarterback and just making them feel a little bit uncomfortable but it still didn't stop Joey Zorn from running all over them and really exploding against that so there's still a lot of really great talent on this Griffin team don't get me wrong but it just doesn't feel like they're they're uh, they've either come together yet or they're missing a few pieces especially on that defense to really take them into that you know one b tier that we thought we saw them in going into the season so the, the cavalry is coming, at least on the defense, as you alluded to. But the question is, if they fall to 0-3, is it too late? Which then, I think, brings us to the point where we got to pick them on this. And I'm sticking with the trend that I didn't even realize I was going with this week, where I'm going for now, well, I guess aside from York Carlton, third pick in a row, I'm going with the road team. I'm taking Guelph to finally get a win on the road at Waterloo. Where are you feeling on this? I think with all the questions that we've seen against this Griffin team, and I think the big one being the one at quarterback, with a team like Waterloo that's had a lot of time to prepare and hasn't showed their full hand yet, 
I think they find a little bit of home team magic, and I'm picking Waterloo Warriors to win here. Guelph Griffin's going to 0-3. I never thought I'd see it in this in this league here, but I'm I'm taking the, the Warriors. I'm so hyped up. I love the pick. I absolutely adore it. Last question I got to throw you away then before we move on to our nightcap. Over, under, quarterbacks we see for Guelph. Two and a half. I'm setting that as the line. Over, under. <laughs> uh, I'll pick the over. Hey, there we go. Let's let's hammer that over. I'll go with you on that one. Um, that takes us to a game where if all things go as we expect, there should be one quarterback starting on each team and that same quarterback finishing it. This is the game that I've been kind of touting as the OUA's last hope in thinking that anyone can possibly knock off the Western Mustangs. It is the Queens Golden Gales taking on the Western Mustangs at Western Alumni Stadium, 7 p.m., you know, you got to bet your bottom dollar. I am going to be there. It is the blackout game for Western. It is, you know, the Yates Cup rivalry. You know, my boy Matt Nesbitt back in London. I love it. I'm sure he's obviously busy with a million things. But are we going to get the ball game I'm hoping for is obviously the question we got to talk about right now. We got, you know, Western's obviously shown that, you know, whether they're handing it off, um, whether they're handing it off to Winati or Edwards, they just pick up yards. Hillock had a performance last week against Laurier that whether this was their intention or it just kind of happened with the flow of the game kind of matched what I was curious if they were going to do and maybe try and sling the rock a little bit more to be like, hey, we can always just hand it off and get yards. But if if, if we want to get to where we want to, which is the Vanier at home, we obviously need to be able to both attack on the ground and the air. And he did that in spades with the four touchdown performance in that game three going to his former high school teammate and Savon Magne Jones. Um, and then defensively as well, being being fairly stout, although, you know, Laurie ran the ball a little bit. Um, Queens, on the other hand, we talked about Ottawa showing a good performance against them, but Queens just Queens just been has just been really solid. Like I, I know that's like the the least interesting sports take you can be. Um, the one question, biggest question from last game was no Jaden Blackman. Queens rolling in to London night game blackout game for Western. Um, aside from just the, the the pageantry that makes this game so uh, so beautiful to think about the on the field action. What what are your thoughts? And this has been a game that I have circled on the calendar since I saw it, especially after week one, when we saw the caliber of both of these teams here. Whole oh, baby, Western Queens getting back to form, getting back to that real solid rivalry between these two. I cannot wait for this game. I think we're really going to see some of the best that the OUA has to offer in this game. And uh, I think, Queens is not going to be a team that's going to back down from this. Like I said, you know, a few pods ago, I think this is the biggest chip on the shoulder that a a Yates Cup, at least uh, attendee team, has ever had in their entire careers here. I think they're going into this game feeling like they need to prove something to this, uh, not only to this Western team, but to themselves that they deserve to hang in this 29 to nothing as a Yates Cup defeat still stings and i guarantee you they've got that posted somewhere in the locker room or something like that to really remind themselves i think this is going to be an absolutely phenomenal game and i cannot wait to watch it yeah and you know it's it it the thing with i remember they were mentioning on one of the last queen's broadcasts 
not that this necessarily makes up the gap in the final score that you, you reiterated from that Yates Cup, it had it had eluded my my memory that Richard Burton uh, was I was injured for that game as well, and we've obviously seen him have a, a decent start to the season after that long extended uh, rain lightning delay in the Ottawa game. They came out with a big shot that just narrowly missed a, what would have been probably a sixty yard touchdown for them. Talked about Blackman not being there, but Anthony Souls was running the ball really well. Jared Kassari running the ball really well. Obviously James Keenan and you know, we talked about the impact of an offensive line, and we, I think this is the second week now mentioning it, where this is a team that was really able to restock um, some key players they lost on that offensive line and are looking really solid. Um, I guess the question becomes, though, I mean, can they act? Do you think they can actually slow down Western significantly to, you know, stay in this game? I mean, I. I I think we can definitely. I think, I think we can get a really good first half out of it. But there was, I was mentioning this to Nate on the pod. There was a moment in that third quarter against Laurier where Western just they 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 started going no huddle and they would hand it off to Wanadi or maybe you know or it might have been um it might have been Edwards but then they just shuffled the other one in right away. That massive O line just jogged up to the line. Like I said, just one play to the next, broaden the next, and just boom, hit him again. And it's just so heartbreaking where, like, you can slow this team down, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> can you stop them? Can they be stopped? This Queens, you are our last hope. Uh, and do they have a hope? What, where, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this, Tom. I mean, I, like I said, for all the pageantry, for all the his- history of this game, for the the Yates of last year, for all these pieces we're talking about, there's just still this piece of my gut being like, no team can touch this Western Mustangs team. Oh, I need to back away from the mic, Tom. What's up with this? What's up with this matchup? Like, are we getting a game? Yeah, I think we're gonna be getting a game here for sure. I'm so happy that you brought up that hurry up offense because like you said, I think that was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen to having a rushing offense. That's hurry up where you have two of the best running backs in the country flip back and forth. So they're almost just as fresh as they were going up against you. That is the most terrifying thing I can possibly imagine from a run defensive uh, standpoint. And I don't know if you ever got to do hurry up, in your time at Mac, but as an old lineman too, it gets you jacked up. You just know that. And especially if you're going to be pounding the rock like that too, get up to the line, like make your one call or whatever. Boom. Get after it again. Just get that mojo going. Oh my goodness. That was just, um, and it's one of those things we talk about, you know, showing your hand and things like that. I mean, you can, they can show that week too. It doesn't matter. Like who can, who, who's going to stop that? <laughs> who's going to stop that? I, yeah. But I wouldn't count out this Queens team just yet. I think James Keenan is going to try to find a rhythm here. And I think you talk about all of the, the amazing weapons that Western has on the offensive side of things and the monsters that they have on the defensive front as well. I think the way that you get at this Western team is you have to get them off their game and start forcing them to play at your speed. If Queens can dictate the pace of the game. And what I mean by that is, not letting Western settle into their, we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And on the off chance that you actually stop us for only a two or three yard game, instead of an eight or a 10 yard game, we're going to rely on our sophomore quarterback to pick you apart in the secondary because he's good enough to do so. If you can force them to get 
out of rhythm here and potentially score on them early so that Western is coming from behind something that they're very not accustomed to doing, you might be able to get them off their rocker, get them going into certain places where they're not nearly as comfortable and trying to finally dethrone the Purple Ponies as they sit atop the OUA. It has been since 2014 against actually my McMaster Marauders, which I'm very happy about. That was the last time that Western has lost in the regular season. It has been a very long time since this Western team has seen a regular season loss. And it's going to take everything that this Queens team has in order to get to there. Is, wait, is that like regular season or like just at home, like regular season across the board? Regular season across the board, the only loss that they've had, Holy the, the most recent one, has been 2014. I'm I'm not smart enough to do the quick math. I'm thinking like where the rookies on this Western team would have been in their life when that game would have happened. Um, but eight years yeah. ago in elementary school, yeah, something like that. Eh? Oh wow. You know, you you raise the point. Obviously, if Queens can get up on them big, I mean, like who wouldn't take that as a formula for success? But the biggest thing, obviously, because we've seen this in Western's matchup with Guelph. And, and Laurier, which is why, you know, those teams kind of, you know, hang in there a little bit. You know, what's the great line from Rounders? Hang in, he's hanging around. He's hanging around. <laughs> Old Teddy KGB. Um, you can't trade touchdowns for field goals. You know, that's the biggest thing. So I, I agree, obviously, if Queens can get up big and try and force Western to maybe change up their plan a little bit, if that even does that. Um, but you certainly... It's 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 that, or you gotta be just saying, okay, haymaker for haymaker. It can't be mm-hmm. haymaker for a little slap in the face. Um, nonetheless, despite the pageantry, despite the rivalry, all these things, I'm going with the Mustangs at home because I think they're going undefeated on this season. Uh, I think <laughs> we're on lockstep on that. Is that correct, Tom? Yes. Uh, one thing that I do wanted to just clarify there, their last regular home season loss, 2014. Obviously, Guelph had that amazing uh, victory, I think it was last year in Guelph, uh, to start the season off. Last home season loss, 2014 for the Western Mustangs. Regardless, Western takes this one. I think you're exactly right. The only way that you're really able to do this is if you go into the saying, Western's going to get some. They're going to score. They're going to do it. They're going to get some big plays. We have to respond. If you don't think that that's going to happen, you're in for a very rude awakening. And I think Western lands a few more haymakers than this Queens team can and comes away with a night game victory. However, it breaks down. It'll be a beautiful event to be at that I am so happy I will be able to attend live. If you are going to be there, you know, keep your eyes out for me. I'll definitely have on some at the 55 gear. Hopefully I'm not greeted with the same reception that uh, poor Nate Hobbs was at the UFT game. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, just look for the shiny bald head in the crowd and uh, and you'll see me. So come say what up. Uh, come talk some smack about our top 100. You know, you're, you're all so confident on our social media platform. You know, you want to you want want to come look look the devil in his eyes you know here i am i'll be there in the flesh at western <laughs> alumni stadium 7 p.m on on saturday night it'll be a beautiful night and it'll be a beautiful weekend of oua football and if this weekend can replicate some of the excitement that we've seen so far in these first two weeks it'll be a joy and, and as we've sort of seen in our picks and talking with our other uh colleagues colleagues that seems like the weird way to put it our friends our friends we're all just friends here at the 55 um there's finally a little diversity in some of these games so that's just all the better for what's going to be an exciting week and 
golly, it's we're already going to week three, Tom. Um, any last words going into this week before uh, we say farewell to the to the folks? Yeah, I think I'm just so appreciative, like we were saying at the very beginning of the pod, that there is such the teams that we thought were going to be at the bottom have now started to come to the top here. And that middle rung is starting to be so much more competitive than what we thought. We are going to be in for some phenomenal games this weekend. And if you can plop yourself in front of your computer, stream these games because it's going to be worth it. I cannot wait to see the result from these. And if you can hit up any of them live, do it. And if you're hitting up the Western game live, once again, find me, say hello, talk some trash, whatever you want to do. And if you don't see, if you don't talk to me then, you'll hear me on Sunday, pardon me, on Monday at the 55.